Well, 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning, 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a real basic, simple message, and you either need it now or you will need it. So just keep it either in your heart or in your notes. And I want to talk to you about some key principles and lessons on what to do when your brook dries up. Verse 17, uh, chapter 17, sorry, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn east, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank water from the brook. Uh, <clears throat> sometime after, the brook dried up. There had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you please bring me a little water in a jar that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and said, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and cook a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, your jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman and her son. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by the prophet Elijah. You don't know that God is all you need, even if you come to church, until God's all you got. You don't know. You can mouth a little praise the Lord slaying, but honestly, you don't really know He's all you need until He's all you got. Which is why God often allows a shortage, a deficiency, or a lack in our lives. If I were to ask you, what are you lacking this morning, I'd get a variety of answers. Could be a job, could be need more money, maybe I need emotional support, I need more creativity, I need more time, I need more opportunity. Well, we're going to look at the things that cause people to feel hopeless and helpless. And I'm going to look at three incidences in the life of this prophet named Elijah. Some of you right now this morning are in a situation where the brook has dried up in your life. The money's not there. The friend's not there. 
The support isn't there. The energy isn't there. Your health isn't there. Things have dried up in your life. So it says in verse 7 of 1 Kings 17, the brook dried up. What does that mean? Because there are going to be several times in a life when your brook will dry up. That means something good is all of a sudden gone from your life. When something that was enjoyable is now empty. When something that was refreshing to you is no longer there. Something that delighted you, a job, a relationship that brought you delight is now disappointing you and the brook dries up in your life. So what do you do when the brook dries up in your life? Relationally, emotionally, economically, or whatever. Well, you remember three things. Number one, brooks dry up occasionally to keep me from depending on the brook instead of God. That is so easy to say, but hard to do. That's the very first reasons. God wants me depending on Him as my source, not the brook. Now, Elijah was in a ravine for a year. It would have been easy for him just to forget God and focus on the birds and the brook because they are the ones supplying his need. He doesn't have to work. It's all right there. The birds bring the food. The brook gives the water. Life is good. And pretty soon, if you depend on a bird every day to drop food to you week after week, month after month for a full year, pretty soon it's inevitable. You're not thinking about God. You're just wondering if that dumb bird's on time. That's serious. And I'm telling you, that, that bird could be anything, a supplemental income job, a relative that's resourcing you with additional money, some sort of a government subsidy. But for whatever reason, it goes south and it dries up and you immediately hit with that panic. What, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was depending on, yeah, the brook. I was depending on the brook and not God who's God of all the brooks and all the water that can fill a brook. And the second reason God allows it is to move me to a better place. God had no intention of leaving Elijah in a ravine for the rest of his life. It was simply a one-year temporary retreat for reflection. He was protecting Elijah by moving him because there was a bounty on his head and the assassins were out to get him. Wicked Queen Jezebel had put a bounty on his life, kill him. And so he's got that to contend with. So God is going to protect him by moving him. God was going to use Joseph, but he had to move him into Egypt. And he just used the meanness and betrayal of his brothers to fulfill his own purpose and will. You as a believer are never at the mercy and whim of wicked people. God will use the anger of man to praise himself. He'll just use it and redeem it so that he works everything ultimately for your good and for his glory. And believe me, it ain't good. He just redeems it for your good and for his glory. So God doesn't intend for you or me or anybody else to live in a rut for the rest of your life. So God will often dry up the brook in your life to keep you from depending on the brook instead of him. And second, to move you to a better place. 
Because if it doesn't dry up, you're not going anywhere. You're going to sit comfortably in your comfort zone. And as you know, you'll never get a miracle in a comfort zone, ever, ever. Third, that brook can dry up to prove God has not forgotten you. To prove God has not forgotten me, he often dries up the brook. Now, God could have left Elijah in that rut. If God didn't care about Elijah, he could have put him in a ravine and left him there for the rest of his life. But God did care about Elijah, and for that reason, he dried up the brook so Elijah could have something better. The Bible said, God takes away to establish. You read 1 Corinthians 15. It says, he took away the old covenant to establish a new and better covenant. I don't want to go back to the good old days. They weren't that good. And God said, I'm going to take away the old, and I'm going to give you a new covenant that's a better covenant. I live under a better covenant than they did in the Old Testament. You wouldn't know it looking at some people, but we do. And then God took away the old man, Adam, and established the new man, the last Adam, Christ Jesus. Every time God takes away, it gets better. God's got something better for you each time if he can just get that pacifier or that brook out of your mouth and get your heart and head kind of focused on him who is the source of all blessing, of all life. It all comes from him anyway, right? So God cares about you, believe me. And he's up to something better in your life. The Bible says, the thief shall restore sevenfold. You don't get back what you lost. You get back more than you lost. And you look through the Old Testament, God's law of restoration required that whatever was lost, stolen, or taken away had to be brought back in greater quantity or quality or kind. It wasn't the same. It was better. If you had a Timex stolen, you had to bring back a Rolex. It wasn't the same. It was better. That's all I'm saying. That was, we've done messages on that with a hundred scriptures, but that's something to renew your mind about. God's up to something, and you need to pay attention and say, Lord, what are you up to in my life? So God is paying attention to you because he wants to move you to a new and a better place. Okay? Three things to remember when you're on that journey. Number one, the path to a miracle is always through uncomfortable territory. Always. We said it before, miracles never happen in your comfort zone. When everything's going great, when everything's copacetic, when everything's comfortable, when everything's convenient, you don't need a miracle when everything is settled and in place in your life. You only need a miracle when you're out on the water, when you're on the edge, when you're scared to death, when you're insecure. And when you could get hit at any angle, the path to a miracle is always through uncomfortable territory. Elijah's going to have to walk right through the area of Samaria and Megiddo. That's where we get the word Armageddon from. He's going to have to go through all that, meanwhile, with people wanting to kill him in order to get where God wants him to go. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, out of slavery to the promised land, they had to go through the Red Sea first. That was scary, very uncomfortable. For David to slay Goliath, he had to walk out onto a battlefield before the victory could happen, before the miracle. You might have to go into battle first. 
when God wanted Jehoshaphat to win a victory, he had to put the choir in front of the army. That's scary. And I want to say to our worship team, it doesn't mean you're expendable. God was going to do something miraculous. The praises of his people were going to go first. And the army wouldn't even have to fight. You know, some of you early in the morning, I'm a little, I'd be scared to go into battle if you were out front. We can't get a holy grunt out of you, let alone some loud praise, which is perfectly biblical and scriptural. So is clapping of the hands and shouting unto God with the voice of triumph. Well, I think that's Pentecostal. Well, I think you don't know your Bible. I don't think it's anybody's. I think it's God's. And I remember as a young boy in a Baptist church, when I'd read the verses of Scripture, I thought, that's clear Scripture. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Let them clap their hands. And I thought, why do you give that to a particular group when it's given to every believer as a clear command? Being quiet is not Christian. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, that's a fact. And I want to tell all my African-American members and friends here, I love when you shout. I love when you say something. I love it. You forget all the white folks in here. You shout. Uh, God loves to inhabit the praises of his people. I don't want a white cracker, total tea party, white Republican church. I want a church filled with every kind of color, race, nationality, and people in here. Amen. I mean, God isn't even American. (laughs) Well, I feel better. Okay. The second thing you need to remember when you're on the journey, not only is it going to be uncomfortable, unpleasant, the source of a miracle is always unexpected. Always. In your life, the source of a miracle will always come where you never expected it to come from. Always. Looking over my Christian life, for over 45 years and looking at a few of the incredible miracles that came into my life, not one came like I thought it would come. Never. And it never happened again. I remember, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago or something, uh, uh, you do estimated taxes or something. Anyway, it was, I owed a lot more. It'd been a, it obviously I'd done better that year than we planned. And I remember uh, Randy Ross sitting over here as one of our elders and a CPA and financial planner called me and said, can he come to the office? Now, when your accountant wants to come to the office, that ain't good. That's like a doctor making a house call. That just doesn't happen. And so he came in with a black armband and a briefcase and gave me the sad news. Hey, you owe some more money. And I remember I nearly fainted. I thought, I'm a tax-paying, tithing-giving Christian. I, what? But he, and then he just said, God bless you, and left. Just drove off and left. And Judy Orr, who's been my personal assistant, secretary for uh, almost the entire length of our ministry, was sitting in the office next door. And as soon as Randy got in the car and drove off, the phone rang. And she says, hey, it's, uh, it's Casey Treat. Oh, okay. Well, I, one of my close friends, I took the call. Well, the Board of Elders had just sold what was going to be a college building because they bought land, they were going to move away. Alaska Airlines bought the building at a high price. And they said, this is too much money, we need to tithe it. 
And so the board decided they would tithe the, the, the proceeds to the three people that had made the biggest difference in the life of their church, and moi was one of them. And they… T- I'm… I'm… I don't know what… I got sunburn of the mouth. I'm thinking, what? And they told me how much it was, and it just wiped out IRS, and I called Randy in the car before he got to his office and said, guess what? I got… Now I, by the way, that's never happened again, ever. And so, and I can just give you one instance after another where I, I'm a figurer. I'm a calculating military guy. If I'm in a gunfight, I know who's my most imminent threat, where the least threat will be. That's part of leading. That's part of being a decision maker. But I can't ever figure this out with God. It just never comes the way I thought it would come. And if you try to think about it, it won't either. So just get ready for the unexpected. And number three, the third thing to remember on the journey is the pattern for a miracle is always CPR. Yep, you heard it. CPR. Command, promise, risk. And this CPR will really get your heart pumping. Command, promise, risk. You need to realize every time does a miracle anywhere, it comes in this format. God gives you a command. He tells you to do something. Then He gives you a promise. If you do this, here's what I'll do for you. And then after the promise comes the risk. You step out in faith because it probably is scary and won't always make sense. Command, promise, risk, right? And by the way, that command can be clear Scripture. Okay? Or it can be a prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's all. It's just you don't know out of the blue. You suddenly feel, you know, honey, I'm thinking maybe we should give this or do that or, that, or call somebody. Those, those little promptings. I remember calling a, a friend, and he pulled the car over and was sobbing, and he was over in the nation of Wales, and he said, you'll never know what that call meant to me. And as far as I was concerned, I didn't have any clue anything was wrong. I just had this gut prompting to give him a call. No reason for it in the world. Those are, inc- those are like little audibles from our, our quarterback, the, the Lord Jesus, you know, saying, do this. You don't have to have an angel appear all the time. He just kind of prompts your heart to do something, and you don't have to be told to do it. If you obey, there's always a great reward in doing that. Now, what do you need to remember when you run out of resources? What do you need to remember? Three things. Number one, and we're just taking this right out of this story here, and I'll give you some practical uh, examples. Whatever you need more of, give of what you have of that. Sow it unto God. So, what did she need? Flour and oil. What did she have very little of? Flour and oil. So she gave of a portion of that flour and oil to the prophet or unto God. Now, from a human standpoint, I think all of us would have said, oh, lady, stop it. You're poor. You can't afford to give anything. Keep your oil. Keep your flour. And there's a myth that I can't afford to be generous. But you're wrong. 
You can always afford to be generous. The little widow woman gave her little three pennies in the temple. Jesus said she gave more than all of these people that came in and dropped big bucks in the offering. That's all she had. This little, little, little woman of Zarephath didn't have any wealth, didn't have any government funding. She just had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And so he says, give of what you have need of, because it's always a trusting God example. And everybody can be generous because it's not an amount. It's a heart attitude. You can be generous with a bowl of chili. You can be generous, but when you loan somebody a car, you can be generous when you give your time to help somebody else. You can, all of those are seeds of generosity, kindness, uh, forgiveness, mercy, helping somebody. We have people in here with different skills, and from time to time, somebody in the church has a need, they'll jump over, maybe they're an electrician, and they'll help somebody, save a few bucks, give their gift in to help them. They're giving of what they have, and it multiplies back more time to you as you give it. So everybody can give something. There is nobody that has nothing to give. So it's a myth that says, I can't afford to give. You can't, if you're a believer, you can't afford not to because that is a key to survival. Number two, whatever you have the least of, then you begin to sow from that little. Maybe it's not much. Jesus said, if you're not faithful in a little, you won't be faithful in much. If you can be faithful, this is Luke 16, if you can be faithful with little, I can entrust you with much. So you say, well, God ain't trusting me with very much. Well, maybe there's a story there. Maybe you're not very faithful with what you've got. So you can change that by your own behavior. So why should I give from the least that I have? It's a test. Who am I trusting as my source? Myself, my 401k, the government, a rich relative? This is the opposite of what the world teaches. We're taught that whatever we have extra of, give some of that away. So I've got extra time, I'll give a little time to help my church or my community or school or to volunteer. I've got extra time, so I'll give a little time away. If I've got a little extra money, I'll give some extra money to the church or to a charity or to help someone in need because I've got a little extra. If I've got a little extra energy or creativity, well, I'll volunteer to tutor somebody. So we're taught by the world to give out of our abundance, our surplus. We're taught to give out of our leftovers because we have extra. Well, it's probably better than nothing, but God says if you want a miracle, you give what you don't actually have a lot to give from. You give when you really need to hold on to it because you're not where you are. So one of the principles I picked up from a wise old Christian who's with Jesus now was, Rick, if what you have isn't enough to meet your need, turn it into seed. Sow it. It's not going to help you what you got now. Turn it in. And many times I've been given something. Somebody would shake my hand and, and put a $100 bill in there or a $20 bill in there. But my point being was it didn't meet my need. It brought blessing to the person who sowed it. But I want a bigger blessing. So I turn around and I'll find somebody as I feel prompted out there in the lobby. Now everybody want to shake hands with me. And I, <laughs> And I'll shake hands with them, and I'll transfer that seed. So the person who sowed it to me is going to get more than one blessing because it's going from him to me to someone else. God knows. I told you I was in, uh, uh, oh, where was I? Buenos Aires, preaching in a soccer stadium to people. 
and I'd never been there in my life. And the pastor was, was out and he, he was introducing me and he said, oh, by the way, and he had on a watch, a nice watch. And he said, Pastor Rick, do you know where this watch came from? What if I just got to Buenos Aires. I don't know squat. No, I don't know where you got it. Maybe you stole it. I don't know. <laughs> what? And he said, it's your watch. I said, my watch. He said, you gave that to someone and that someone gave it to me. So it went from here to Austin, Texas, to England. It went to uh, Buenos Aires. I thought, go, seed, go. Yeah, that baby's reproducing, bringing blessing. And I've done that a hundred times. I'm simply saying, don't wait for an abundance. So I turn that little that's not enough into some seed. These are just principles when you got a dry brook that I'm telling you work and they always work. I've never seen it fail. Then third, I don't give to get a blessing. I want primarily to be a blessing. When God blessed Abraham, he said, Abraham, I will be your exceeding great reward. You don't need the government. I'll be your reward. I can make anything happen for you I want. And in blessing you, you shall be a blessing to the nations. So the purpose when God blesses any of us is to turn around and reciprocate and bless others. There's no greater feeling than when you do something to help somebody who can't help you back. It's just the best buzz in the whole world. Jesus said, he didn't say it's not blessed to receive. Anybody ever get anything for free and somebody gave it to you? How many of you know that was a good feeling? Somebody gave me a sports car. I felt, I felt James Brown come on me. I feel good. La, 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 la. Yeah. But he said, it's okay. He says, remember that feeling? It's better to be a blessing than to be blessed. He said, if you want to really kick that buzz factor up, bless someone who can't bless you back, and I'll bless you. So if I'm generous, will God bless me? Well, of course He will. There are more promises in the Bible about giving than re- and receiving than anything else. But I don't do it primarily to get something. I do it so I can be a blessing. If helping the poor honors God, I can't, I can't be generous and help the poor if I'm broke. So God, I think some brooks are going to get wet. That's what I think. I'm hearing some rain outside. Some of you have some seed planted and it's getting watered right now by the Holy Spirit. I believe, I feel that. And so if I'm generous with my time, with my money, with my energy, with my talent, if I become a generous person and I'm a giver instead of a taker in life, will God bless me? 100% promise of Scripture. The liberal soul shall be made fat. That is a clear Scripture. So I do it so I can be a blessing to other people. I want to enrich your life. I'm well aware God will bless me. But the great joy is being able to bless others. So here's a couple of lessons when you are in a recession, because you don't know how long that can last. In tough times, some things to remember. Number one, God is all I really need. 
I don't need the government. I don't need the economy. Shoot, I don't even need a job. God, if He wants to, can have ravens drop food on me. And these ravens are unclean birds. They were not ceremonially accepted by a Jew under the law of Moses. And God used dirty birds to feed His prophet. God can use unsaved people to bless your life, to help you, to open a door, because they ha- you have favor. And God uses people. Man, He uses animals occasionally. I'm not going to be presumptuous and jump into a zoo, but it just shows you that God has control. It says He turns the heart of a king any way He wants. And several times He used pagan kings to bless God's people. So don't you rule out the fact God can't use anything and everything. If one door closes, God can open another door. If one job opportunity closes or collapses, He can open another one just as easily. So my trust is ultimately not in my job or my talent or my bank account. My ultimate trust has to be in God. God is all I need. Second, where God guides, God provides. Cute, but it's still true. If God tells you to go to Zarephath, Get up and leave now. Take an umbrella. Don't, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Just go directly to Zarephath. Why? Where He guides you, He will provide for you. Ladies, don't panic. When Cindy and I came here to start the church, it's scary. No job, no source of income, no sponsors, a big step of faith with the equity we had in the house we sold. And my deal was, when that's gone, I'm going back where I came from because they all said, if that doesn't work out, please come back. Stay here. The way you go out is the way you come in usually. And if you go out blessed, you're going to come in blessed. So if God isn't meeting any need, you might want to be careful not to run your mouth and say, well, God told me. Well, did you confirm that with two or more witnesses? In the Bible, the Bible says, in the mouth of two or more witnesses, let every word be as, well, I just believe, oh, I just believe I met stupid. That's what I believe. No, no, no. If it's God, it'll stand the test of a couple of witnesses. Smart people, by the way, not dummies. And so you want to counsel with the spiritual leadership, with trusted people, with proven uh, success, and God will give you the green light. It's still a risk, but it's a smart way to know that God is with you. And if God's telling you to go, well, I don't know what we're going to do about school. I'm not sure about a new home. We've got friends here. If it's God, it's going to be just fine. He will provide for you. And He provided for us for 32 years. When we drove into town, we had nothing. We didn't have a PA system. And now after 32 years, God has been faithful and God has been good. So God won't send you to a place He's not going to provide for you. Where God guides, He provides. Third, I have to trust Him one day at a time. You know, recession or drought doesn't come at you in one day and it's over. It's one day at a time. And so you, when we pray, God says, pray for my daily bread. It's one day. I don't bring the groceries in from HEB and pray a corporate blessing over them for the month. And we pray for our daily bread, one day at a time. And fourth, the last thing is that God's promises hinge on my obedience. God's promises hinge on my obedience. Command, promise, and risk. You take that step of faith. Doesn't seem logical in the natural, but we're talking about the kingdom of God. 
what you do seems illogical, but you follow God's clear Scripture, and God says, I'll take care of you. The Bible says, my God will meet all your needs. Notice it doesn't say might, or God hopes, or God might, maybe. God will meet all, not some, of my needs. Now, that's a promise of God, and He doesn't lie. Command, promise, risk. My God shall meet all your need according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Notice, He doesn't say He'll meet all my greeds or wants. God has not promised you or me a Rolls Royce and a $9 million home in the dominion. God said, I will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. So if we're doing the will of God as a family or as a church, God says, quit looking at what you don't have. You look at me. I will supply the need that you have. And he's been so faithful to do that. We've never stopped, but even when 08 hit and the global economy died, everybody remember that? People lost homes and jobs, charitable giving went down 40%. It was more uh, bankruptcies in churches occurred than in any other time in history. Over 350 on record went into foreclosure and bankruptcy. Uh, social agencies, nonprofits tanked. And I remember saying, whatever we have to do, as long as we're open, we will still give to the poor, and we will still help social agencies. We may not have as much as we had, but we will give because that's our lifeline to God's favor and God's blessing. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will repay. And what you make happen for others, God says He'll make happen for you. So that's so important. God says, I will supply all your need. Don't grow up and be a stingy, covetous person. And don't be manipulated. All of these truths I've shared can be manipulated by people who exploit you. If you ever feel you're being witchcraft, manipulated, just back off and do nothing. But here's, Cindy and I know we're going to give our tithe. We know we're going to give to uh, Vacation Bible School, which is coming up in, a, in another month or so. We know when there's a special need, we're going to do something. So we've, we've, we've adopted a few rules, and I learned these from others a lot smarter than me 50 years ago, and that was if she and I agree what we should give, and I have an amount and she has an amount, whichever amount's the higher, that's what we go with, so we beat the devil. I don't know which one the devil's in, but it's probably not the higher amount. It'd probably be in the lower amount. So I, I want to make sure that he knows this trick doesn't work. So if we have a disparaging uh, disagreement about the amount, we just go with the higher amount, case closed, God wins, no, nobody's, uh, nobody's a loser in the deal. Just a simple thing. Sometimes we just feel a prompting. Somebody has a need, somebody calls in, and maybe I'm thinking, I remember once I said to my wife, I said, why don't we just meet that need? I just feel to do it, just out of a the blue. There was no sermon, nobody witchcrafted me. I didn't see babies with flies on their mouth. No, I just said, why don't, we, why don't we do that? And she said, that's a good idea. We just did it. That's all in this area of giving, but that's being prompted by the Holy Spirit, not manipulated by somebody else to take your money. But my point is, some of you are in a drought. Some of you, your brook is dried up. And I'm telling you right now, if you'll take a few of these simple principles and start applying them, your brook's going to get more water than you can imagine. It's going to get wet. It's going to get frugal. And you're going to say, thank you, Jesus, because He wants you to flourish. But He wants you to see Him as the source. 
One last illustration, and, and I'm just saving you from the rain. Uh, you don't want to go out there in this right now anyway. You don't want to send your wife to get the car. <laughs> that won't go in a marriage seminar. But I, and I, every year I probably mention it, but Cindy and I were in Savannah, Georgia before we came to start the church, and we wanted to build on an island that was there, and so we bought a lot. We, we bought a lot. We were happy with it. And then a house came open shortly afterwards that was just what we wanted, and at a price we could afford, and we wouldn't have to go through the hassle of building again. So I made an offer. The offer was accepted. Now I've got a house, and I've got that lot under a loan from the bank. Now I've got to dump that lot. Well, it isn't selling. So I borrow the money six months from a bank and, and hope for a sale. And then every night I'd go do my run and I'd go buy that lot. And I did like Jericho. I went around it seven times. I remember I put oil on some of the trees. I prayed over it. You may make fun of me. Oh, I don't care. I was blessing that property and calling it sold, doing everything scripturally I knew to do, and nothing was happening. By the way, I'm on a church staff, I am tithing, I'm giving above my tithe, and still it's not moving. My brook right now is drying up. Now that note's coming due. What am I going to do? So I did what John R. Rice taught me to do 20 years earlier, give something away. I have need, I'm going to give out of what little I have. So I went and got our new color television and a brand new Lazy Boy Rocker, which was my heartbeat, that was new. And we had a young couple in our young couple's class. We had hundreds in our young couple's class, and they were poor. I mean, poor doesn't describe it. They lived in a shack. They just had a baby. They, I went, I visited them, congratulated them, blessed the baby. You could see through the floor to the ground. They, they had no rocking chair. They had no television. They had no washer and dryer. So I had the boys from my class come out to my nice home, load up my color TV, load up my lazy boy and a washer and dryer. And we took it and put it in their house. They were so happy. Not as happy as I'm going to be. Five days later, two days before the note comes due, a knock comes on my door at 5 p.m. in the winter. It's dark, and there's a businessman in a beige trench coat that's standing at the door, and he says, excuse me for bothering you, sir. I understand you own Lot 21 on Landing Way. Yes, I do. He said, I would like to buy that lot. I'm from Chicago. And I said, I would like to French kiss you right now. And I, man, I, I would have come on in. So he wrote me a check for a deposit, $5,000. He said, I'll go tie this up, clear it. We cleared it with the bank. It was gone. And you think I missed that Lazy Boy and Color TV set? Oh, no. Got rid of that albatross on my neck. And we've been doing that ever since. I've given away riding lawnmowers, power tools, televisions, watches, uh, two cars. And, and I'm going to live this way the rest of my life because your brook will get dry occasionally and God to show himself strong will focus your attention on him. And then I'm going to go right at what I have, even though it's little, and I'm going to give it, whether it's money or it's stuff or it's things. And you'd have to say it's been working really, really well. And, you know, somebody said, one of the young adults in here said to me when they saw that sports car, well, I wish I had one. I said, well, wait till you're 72. 
and wait till you give away a couple of them. And then you might get one. They kind of, they kind of think it just is lucky. There ain't no luck in the kingdom. It's all deliberate sowing and reaping. And so God says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to take care of you. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.